This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. A suspicious death in Washington. And the fact that a anti-Putin activist, um, a supporter of Alexei Navalny, is to suddenly die at the age of 52 immediately raises questions. His name was Dan Rappaport a wealthy Latvian-American businessman working in the nation's capital. So then when we start looking at the circumstances of his death, first he comes out of a window, um, and there are no CCTV cameras working to determine whether he was pushed out or, or jumped out. And then all of a sudden we learned that um, that 15 minutes before he um, either jumped or was pushed out, he had confirmed a lunch for the following week. All of this adds up to me like a um, a suspected murder. A sobering interview with Bill Browder, head of the Magnitsky Global Justice Campaign, and also a man who's been hunted by the Kremlin. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Let's get right to it. On August 14th, at about 6 o'clock, it was uh, 5.57 p.m., D.C. police got a report from 2400 M Street Northwest, and that is just about Georgetown, for those familiar with the city, about a man who reportedly jumped from a building and was pronounced dead at the hospital. He was a white male, 52 years old. His name was Dan Rappaport. A lot of people didn't know who he was. They didn't know what his history was. But those who did know, and there are many, knew that he was a critic of Vladimir Putin. One of the persons that paid very close attention to this is Bill Browder. He's the CEO of Hermitage Capital Management, and he's also the founder of the Magnitsky Global justice campaign. Browder himself has been a fervent critic of Putin as well. D.C. police originally said no foul play was suspected, but they are conducting an investigation, and that investigation could take a while. But there are those, like Bill Browder, who think something really odd took place. Bill, thank you for talking with us again. It's good to see you. I hope all is well. Um, Lots been going on in Ukraine with the war. Of course, there have been many developments in Russia, but there's been uh, some developments here in the United States, too. And, um, you know, one of them, you know, I'm not really quite sure which box to put this one in, but it was the death of Dan Rappaport, who is someone you know, and he's a pretty well-known Latvian-American businessman who is an anti-Putin critic. Talking with police and authorities here in Washington, they say they don't suspect any foul play, but they say an investigation is underway. So um, first, I'd like to get your thoughts about Mr. Rappaport's death and then perhaps look at other possibilities for it. 
Well, I knew Dan well. Um, he was very active and visible in the um, financial markets in, in Moscow when I was there. He was one of my brokers, um, uh, and uh, he's also a friend and a uh, and a um, ally in in um, opposing Putin. He's he was very outspoken about Putin, very critical. He um, he was running a strange anti-Putin website um he he came he w- went under the um alias of david jewberg and um on this facebook page he would regularly comment about russian policy in a very critical way uh oftentimes this his alter ego this david would get picked up in the russian media and he was running this for several years and and gaining a, a following on that basis he was also very involved in in um supporting Alexei Navalny and the early days of Alexei Navalny when, when he was um, just sort of rising in prominence. And, and, uh, and the fact that a anti-Putin activist, um, a supporter of Alexei Navalny is to suddenly die at the age of 52 immediately raises questions. And then when we start looking at the circumstances of his death, first he comes out of a window um, and there are no CCTV cameras working to determine whether he was pushed out or, or jumped out. And then all of a sudden we learned that um, he had $2,620 of cash, not in a wallet, but just in cash in his pocket, uh, that 15 minutes before he um, either jumped or was pushed out, he had confirmed a lunch for the following week. All of this adds up to me like a, um, a suspected murder. And, um, and it may very well not be, but if, but I think that that it's unhelpful for the Washington D.C. police to immediately comment that they don't see anything suspicious. I would, if I were them, I would comment that that they see everything suspicious and conduct a murder investigation um, to either rule out uh, a murder or or to rule, uh, but but certainly not uh, not rule it out before they even conduct it. Well, one of the things that makes a lot of people suspicious about this is what happened to Mikhail Lesson uh, in 2015 here in Washington. And that, again, was a situation where uh, someone who had fallen out with Vladimir Putin was dead, turned up dead. And the circumstances under which he died were supposedly, according to some police reporting at the time, he was drunk and he fell and hit his head. And, I mean, come on. Um, some of the reporting itself, I mean, you don't get bruises all over your body by falling and hitting your head. So it raises this question about whether or not there are actually efforts underway in the U.S., inside the United States, by people um, that don't like anti-Putin critics. Uh, and so this whole thing with Rappaport raises the same specter here. So let me ask you this question. Um you know, just today, um, this is the 1st of September, um, another individual, critical of Putin, Ravil Magnanov, uh, Maganov, rather, from Luke Oil, turns up dead. Similar circumstances, but uh, your thoughts about that, though? Well, the, um, the chairman of Luke Oil, um, who also supposedly either jumped or was pushed out of a window, um, uh, I, I think we need to separate out um, that from the Rappaport uh, situation. Th- this individual was not a critic of Putin in any way, shape, or form. Luke Oil is a regime company. Luke Oil is on all the sanctions lists. 
the CEO of Luke Oil is personally sanctioned. Um, and the statement that Luke Oil made after the invasion is not critical of the government at all. It just says, we, we hope for peace. We don't like conflict. We hope it all gets negotiated away. He doesn't, in, in no way does that statement say um, Putin is a killer. Um, war is, Putin's invasion war is, is un, uh, unacceptable. He doesn't mention Putin, doesn't mention Russia, doesn't mention war. Um, I, I believe that the current, um, that, that my theory on, on his death is that he's one of eight people in the oil and gas business who's been killed over the last 12 months. Uh, I believe that all these people um, are, uh, have died because they were sitting in front of large cash flows. And I think that there's a huge, grubby, um, violent fight going on inside of Russia over those cash flows. We saw the same thing happen in the 1990s in Russia in what was called the aluminum wars. And then in, in the aluminum wars, um, there was so much cash flow in the aluminum business that everybody um, was killing each other over that cash flow. We're in a world right now in Russia where sanctions have dried up many sources of cash and everybody who likes cash um, at the top of the hierarchy is now looking for ways of getting access to it. Uh, I could easily imagine that somebody wanted some deal done with Luke Oil that this man was standing in the way of. And the best way of stopping that, him, that blockade would be to eliminate him. So who would those grubby hands be? And would those grubby hands have been responsible for his death um, directly? Um, yeah. So I would imagine that, that there is a, uh, some type of, of subterranean dispute going on about a, a, a deal, a cash flow, a situation where money could be made by one group um, and it's being made by the other. And that group who wants to make the money um, is ready to resort to violence to get that money. And, and what you have to understand is that Russia is is like a, uh, a mafia country. You have the chief mafia boss, which is Vladimir Putin, and then you have all sorts of different subgroups that are fighting over money. And the subgroups will absolutely kill each other to get that money. And sometimes one group is more violent and more powerful than another one. And that's where all these deaths come in. And, and for example, if you look at who's died, um, you had two people from Luke Oil die, one person from Gazprom Bank, one person from Novatech, and I think several people from Gazprom. It's it's not um, you know it's not a mystery that that when you have everybody in the one business in Russia where cash flows are still flowing, um, it it kind of sort of explains itself really. So none of those people that have died had made statements um, suggesting that the war should stop, and um, and I guess some people might have con considered that critical. Um, but you don't think those statements that any of these folks have made, regardless of how benign or, or minimalist they may seem, uh, and again, Vladimir Putin, as you say, being the, the, the mafia boss in chief, had anything to do with their deaths. It's, it was just the money, not, not, not statements, not criticism, just the money. Well, so I think that uh, statements like Dan Rappaport's statements would, would, have, um, uh, would, would be motive to, to kill him. But I don't think any of these Russians um, were making statements that were particularly politically uh, charged. I don't, I, I don't see that. In, I don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. Um, I, I mean, what I know about Russia is there are two, two separate things altogether. So you have people like Vladimir Karamurza and Alexei Navalny, who have been very visibly arrested um, uh, for making very explicit um, statements about the war and about Putin. You had 
Vladimir Karamurza called Putin a murderer, and an hour later he was arrested. Um, Alexei Navalny has publicly called Putin a crook, called, called Putin a murderer, called Putin all sorts of things. He's also been put in jail and sentenced to a long sentence, as have many other real opposition members, uh, Ilya Yashin um, and, and others in, in Russia. Um, then you've got the people who are involved in money. And those people who are involved in money, um, uh, in a certain way, <laughs> suffer um, more terrible fates because they're, they're killed. Um, because the easy way to get their money is to make sure they're not standing in the way of somebody else trying to get their money. And so I think we can't, all these things get conflated. We, we, we all view Vladimir Putin as the evil man that he is, but there's different sort of consequences for different types of disputes. And, and there's very clear consequences um, for op opponents of the regime. And there's different consequences for people who are um, where people are fighting about money. And, and I, I don't think we should try to confuse the two. Well, thank you for sorting that out. Um, what about Daria Dugana? She's dead. Russia claims Ukraine did that. She's not a critic of Putin. In fact, um, her father, uh, perhaps a bit um, overzealously, was was referred to as Putin's brain, and I don't know that that's true. And I'm, you know, I'm not sure even how well he knew him. Um, but what are your thoughts on her death? Well, so um, in in that case, it's uh, it's something even more cynical. And again, there's there's his, there's there's precedent for my theory, which is that um, uh, that there there's a, a a word that they use often in Russia called a provocation. And so, for example, um, when Putin wanted to become president, and when he was just finishing up being prime minister of Russia under Yeltsin, nobody knew who he was, and he needed to to gather public support. And so how, how did he go about doing this? Putin was responsible for sending in uh, the secret police, the FSB, and to blow up apartment buildings in Russia, in Moscow, and killing about 500 people, blaming those apartment bombs on Chechen terrorists, and then starting a war against Chechnya, which then led to his popularity and him being elected in a, in a democratic competition. And so he is ready to kill his own in order for his own to, to bring his own purposes. So here we have a situation. Uh, Russia is losing the war in Ukraine. Russia needs, at the moment, they call it a special military operation. They don't even call it a war. They're not able to increase the size of their army at a time when they've lost 40,000 soldiers and another 40,000 are disabled. And so they need more soldiers. Um, how do they go about getting more soldiers? Well, they need to get everybody in Russia angry at Ukraine. And so what do they do? They organize the assassination of a, uh, of a uh, sort of well-liked symbolic figure, um, not the father, but the daughter. And, uh, and I believe Putin was responsible for this. And then they can blame it on the Ukrainians. And then shortly thereafter, they, they then said, you know, this, this situation is getting more extreme. We need more troops. They then justified another 200,000 people being uh, drafted into the army. And, and so I believe that, that that murder is all about Putin setting a narrative. And I, and I think this is not the end of this narrative. I think that there'll be more um, atrocities committed in Russia, blamed on the Ukrainians, to get Russian public opinion around an escalation of the war effort. What about the actual killing itself of, of, Dugin, of Dugina, um, what what element of, of Russian power, the Kremlin, do you believe committed it, did it? 
Um, well, I mean, it, it would be totally in character for the FSB, the, the successor organization of the KGB to carry out uh, an assassination like that. They might not have done it physically themselves. They might have organized it with a um, uh, you know trained assassin. That's how they, they normally go about these things. Um, but uh, this has all the hallmarks of a uh, of a KGB plot um, to um, generate negative public opinion against Ukraine so that they could um, continue to advance their war efforts at a time when Russia is losing. I've heard a couple of other scenarios, and one was from a former CIA, very skilled and pretty well uh, connected person who, who, who thinks this may have been a message to Putin from some rogue factions of the FSB. Do you buy that? I don't buy that for a second. I don't think there are any rogue factions in the FSB because if there were, so Putin is an extremely paranoid man. You've seen him sitting at the edge of 30 foot tables and, and sitting in bunkers and all this kind of stuff. He is so worried about dishonesty, disloyalty. He's looking for it. He's trying to create it. And he's, and he's looking to um, arrest people who he thinks are disloyal, um, kill people who are disloyal. And, and any chance that there's any kind of disloyalty in the ranks, um, he is trying to root out right now. And I, I don't believe that for a second. Yourself, um, you know, for several years, we've spoken about your situation um, and, and you, you've you've written about it, too, how the Kremlin and, and the Putin regime have, have tried to get you. Um, haven't heard a lot about that lately. So um, but I don't think for a second that that's changed. Am I incorrect? Are they still uh, making efforts to lure you or take you back to Russia some way? No, no question. Uh, so once they make a decision that, that somebody is an enemy of the regime, then they, they switch on a button. And, um, and when that button is switched on, then, then all sorts of people in the regime, in the apparatus, then get to work on going after the enemy. And I'm on that list. They continue to go after me. I mean, look at Salman Rushdie, okay? Um, he had a, so he had an Iranian fatwa 32 years ago, and he finally, they finally got him uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, my Putin fatwa came out about 12 years ago, and it's m- probably much more active than any Iranian fatwa against him. I mean, my, my attacks on Putin are very specific, very direct, and, and very debilitating compared to what he did. And so I don't think in any way that I'm safe. I don't think in any way I should let my guard down because they continue to pursue me. What are the, has anything recently happened? Um, well, there, there's all sorts of little subterranean things that I can't get into because uh, I don't want to share where I get my intelligence from. But yeah, there's absolutely things, plots um, to lure me to places, et cetera, which I have to deflect. And, and what I should point out is that there, most of the stuff they do is not very sophisticated. It's what I would call ham-fisted. If you if you read my uh, second book, Freezing Order, you'll see all sorts of attempts they made w- against me. Many of them are like you know childish, but um, they, they, they're not dissuaded by their own sort of lack of success. And there's this expression that um, uh, they only have to be lucky once. I, I have to be lucky every day. And so um, I have to be highly vigilant and I continue to be. Back to Rappaport to wrap this up. Uh... Uh, to, to to end this. Um, so you think this was very likely a murder? Well, I, what I would say is I think that, that um, murder is the first theory that should be investigated. And once a thorough investigation has been done um, to either determine that it was a murder 
or to conclusively determine with evidence that it wasn't a murder, we don't know what it is, but they should rule out um, natural causes as opposed to ruling it in as the first order of business. Bill Browder, head of the Magnitsky Global Justice Campaign. We'll follow the story and keep you up to date on it. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, officials in Ukraine are telling Ukrainians to evacuate the area near the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Zaporizhia power plant is the biggest nuclear power plant in Europe and third biggest in the world. And it's occupied by Russian uh, forces. So th that, you know, makes uh, the situation so dangerous. Yevhenia Kravchuk, member of Ukraine's parliament. If uh, something happens, the result of it can be five times worse than um, a situation on Chernobyl power plant in the 80s. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans, come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It With The Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts.